I read that you were a, a nightlife promoter in New York City back in the day. I was a nightlife promoter. I was a nightlife owner. Nice. You had Raven, right? I had Raven, Madam Wongs, and Red Egg. Very nice. This is way before your time. How old are you? I'm 23. Just turned 23. Yeah, this is, this is way, way before your time. <laughs> yeah. How old are you? I'm 29. Yeah, this is way before your time either. <laughs> yeah, in 2010, 11. So you started out promoting and then you just opened your own venues? Open your own clubs. Yeah, so so I started off doing parties right. at different venues that were trying to become popular. And there was right. a place called Le Petite Maison, which was a restaurant on, I think, 59th between 5th and 6th. There was right. a French restaurant. It's it's a really it's a global brand today. And they were trying to kind of bring attention to it. So they asked me to throw a Saturday night party. So I started doing parties with awesome. my girlfriend, who's now my wife. Nice. And those parties were very successful. And... We would pack that place out. And if we thought we could do this to a restaurant on the Upper East Side, right? right. Pretty much Upper East Side and get pe these cool people to schlep to 59th Street, right. which is like Antarctica for them, then we can definitely do something downtown. And 100%, yeah. My friend Max uh, found this old Chinese restaurant on Howard Street called Joby. And uh, they weren't really doing very well. And there was an old Chinese lady who owned the building and it happened to have a, a cabaret license. So it means you could dance, right? right so it was yeah, like, yeah. it's super hard to get those. Yeah. So we took over that place every weekend and it was just an unbelievable I'm sure party. It was completely packed out. There was people. It was crazy. And then the New York Times covered it and put it on their front page That's and awesome. called it the coolest place to be seen in New York City. And that just killed us because then the cops showed up every single night oh, really? and shut us down. Mm -hmm. So then we moved to another. Chinese restaurant called Red Egg, and then we moved to a Chinese banqueting hall actually on 212 Canal Street wow. <laughs> called the Red Lion. Oh, I've heard of Red Lion. And we okay. threw some epic parties there. That's awesome. Yeah, and then and then I opened uh, the Raven and Jezebel, and it's for another life. It's right. it's a long, long time ago, and this it was, is like 09, right? Like 09. No, 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 15? no. This is no. This is this is uh, 10, 10 to ten to fifteen. Oh, wow. This is okay. 10 to 15. And then okay. six, 15, my wife said, enough of this. You, you got to go get a normal job. <laughs> you, you can't be coming back at, at five in the morning every night and right. sleeping all day. I've got a little bit of a cold. I'm sorry. I fly from Miami. I'm fine. I'm here for two days okay. and my nose is stuffed. And <laughs> this is why Miami life is better than living here. My lips are chapped. So I'm why like, did you move to Miami from New York? I moved to Miami a year and a half ago. No regrets? I absolutely friggin' love Miami. <laughs> I think New York is a young man's game. I think New York is great for young single people yeah. that want to go to six different places, try and get laid all the time and yeah, have fun. <laughs> it's perfect for that, right? But I think when you're married and have kids, I think it doesn't really have the same allure for you anymore. Right. And and the juice isn't worth the squeeze, right? You know, to send a, a six-year-old kid to school, they want $50,000, right? Yeah, for sure. Like, what, are, what am I paying 50 grand? He was playing with blocks and learning letters, right? That same school is going to cost me 11 grand in Miami, right? I'm paying rent for like a small apartment is outrageous here. I'm paying crazy taxes. It's, but I mean, the prices there are pretty high too in Miami. What, what part of Miami? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bought a, I bought a condo though, okay. I, 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 so I, I, I don't rent. But yeah, prices right. are very high in Miami, but nothing compared to New York, no, right? Yeah, of course. So New York is, is pretty the most amazing place. I, I think New York is great when you're starting out and right. trying to make yourself because you're you're forged in the fire that is New York, right. right? And if you can, and as the song says, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere, and that is so true. 
I always say that in the, my tenure in New York, I've seen so many people get spat out by this city right. that just can't hack it, can't handle it, can't make it. So if you can make it here, you can, make it anywhere. You can really make it anywhere. Right. And, and you need a lot of, you need a lot of uh, luck, charm, gumption, balls, ambition, drive, uh, luck again to, to be able to survive here. So I did it. I did New York for 20 years. I think I did it really, really well. I think I left an indelible mark on this city. And, uh, and then when COVID came along, I, I said, okay, goodbye, cold New York. Here we go, sunny, beautiful Florida, Miami. <laughs> and uh, haven't looked back since. I'm, Amazing. I'm, I'm here once a month anyway for about a week. And then I'm, in, I'm, That's awesome. I'm, I'm on the road. That's awesome. And on that note, let's start. Okay. I thought we started. We did start, but now we'll start <laughs> the business stuff. <laughs> so welcome back to the Discovering Commercial Real Estate Podcast. We're so privileged to have multifamily finance veteran Henry Simler here with us today. Thank Henry, you. it's a pleasure having you on. Really appreciate you doing this. Thank you. I don't think I'm a veteran. I've only been in the business for, I don't know, six, seven years. I would say very quick to, to track. <laughs> so I don't think I'm um, a veteran. The guys have been in the business for 30, 40 years. So I'm definitely not a veteran, <laughs> but thank you. Okay. And uh, before we get into the juicy stuff, give the audience a little sense of your background. So where did you grow up and why did you get into commercial real estate? Okay, so I grew up in Golders Green, London. It's a nice Jewish enclave in London. I came to New York in 2002, originally for a three month internship at New York Life and I never left. I've done various different things while I've been here. Uh, and about uh, in 2016, I was in the nightclub restaurant business and uh, my wife said, enough of this nonsense. Time to get yourself a real job. Go back to finance. I'd been in finance prior to the crash of 2008. And in 2008, I got wiped out like so many other people did. And I didn't want anything to do with finance. So I went the completely opposite direction. Right. I went into hospitality. And I always loved being around people. And I loved having fun. And it just seemed like a natural fit for me. And I really didn't want to sit at a desk, I want to take a break from that. And, and this seemed like a good alternative. So I did that for five, five, six years. And then my wife had enough. And I'd also come to the end of that. I was also getting very tired of babysitting drunk people, because right. that's basically what running restaurants and nightclubs is. <laughs> and she said, go see a guy called Anthony also, who was at the time the head of Cantor commercial real estate part of Cantor Fitzgerald. And he said, I can't give you a job because you have no degree. You didn't finish high school. You don't know nothing about real estate finance, but I'll give you an internship. Mm. So I said, okay. And uh, I started showing up to his office every day and he took the time to train me and put me with some other guys and uh, it was good timing. And I learned the business and at the time, Can Cantor had just bought Berkeley Point. Berkeley Point was a Freddie Fanny provider. Mm. So anyone buying multifamily, buys multifamily predominantly with, with, with the agencies, which is Freddie and Fannie, which is government lending programs right. to keep liquidity within multifamily. So they just bought this company and he needed to break into the Jewish market. Right. The Jewish market was very strong in the multifamily business and they were predominantly using brokerage firms like Meridian and Eastern Union. Yep. And here you had a company that had a direct license so you could cut out the middleman, save money. So the pitch was very simple. It was go to people I knew or people I could get in front of and say, rather than go to a broker to do a Freddie Mac deal, come direct to the lender right. and save yourself money. And people liked that and that resonated with people and and I started to do business. That's great. And who kind of like walked you through? Who was your mentor, your first mentor in the business? Anthony. Mm. Anthony was my, my first mentor in the business. Anthony was kind enough to take the time to not just teach me, but also come to meetings. And I schlepped Anthony all over this great country of ours to a lot of meetings that didn't, didn't nothing right. came of them. But he never once complained. I think he enjoyed it, having this young buck running around trying to drum up business. And 
and it kind of let him kind of take a back seat, which he also enjoyed. And we became a really great duo. And then about a year later, he introduced me to a guy called Bill Weber, who was a superstar at Cantor. And, and me and Bill kind of gelled very well with two completely polar opposites. Mm -hmm. Bill's a Wharton boy, you know, highly educated, a uh, bit of a wasp, right? And, uh, and here you have this Jewish upstart kid and the, the kind of the Batman and Robin thing started. I, I don't know who's Batman, I don't know who's Robin. <laughs> I would say I'm Batman, but I don't know if he would be. And we kind of just filled the void of what he didn't have, what I didn't have. He had all the technical ability. He had all the, the brilliant structuring ability. I had the gift of the gab, the, the likability, the, the flair. And between the two of us, we just started to run and, and gallop and race. And we, we did, we've done, we do quite well. 100%, yeah, definitely. And so what do you think Anthony saw you in the first place? Do you think it was your energy that you kind of brought to the table that he really found infectious? I think it was two things. I think one, Anthony loved my wife. You know, he'd, he'd looked after her for, for, for many years. They had a, a very good relationship, kind of like a little bit like a, a, a daughter-father relationship. And uh, he wanted to look out for her. And then I, I think he just likes to, to find talent. He's mm. done this his whole life. And he sometimes the talent is there. Sometimes the talent isn't there, right? right? There's been other guys that have come, held their torch up for a while, but burnt out, right? And Or guys that showed up, thought there would be something that didn't. So he's, he's, he's fostered talent his whole life, right. right? So I thought he saw maybe that little spark in yeah. me. I don't think... I don't think he really thought what we would build. I, I think that came as a bit of a surprise to him, but he saw that little bit of curiosity, that that English accent, the smile, the happiness, you know, that, that likability. thought, okay, let's see what this kid can do. And we've exceeded all his expectations. That's awesome. That's amazing. And how has the landscape of capital markets changed since you joined? Um, what do you think about um, just the landscape and how things have changed basically since you started and and how do you navigate that for new people? The landscape has changed tremendously, right? So it went from when I first started in 1617, being a very niche business to, to like today is being, everybody's in the multifamily right. space, yeah. right? It's it's the asset class of, of I think, of this generation. It's it's so in vogue. If you look where what's happened to retail and office and, and malls, like so everything has become difficult. Multifamily is just so strong. Everybody needs a bed. Everybody needs someone to lay their head at night. Everybody needs a home. So it's, it's just gone from strength to strength while all the other asset classes have struggled. Online retail has kind of hurt. I wouldn't say killed brick and mortar retail, right. but it's hurt retail. Malls, which as a kid was just the epicenter of your young life is no longer the epicenter of your young life. You know, every kid growing up in the 80s and 90s right. hung out in the mall. That I don't think that happens today. Hotels, obviously COVID. So multifamily has just exploded. The different ways to build a cap stack within multifamily right. has exploded. There's so many creative and unique people within the multifamily business, both on the debt, the equity. There's just so many groups involved. There's such a wide net of lenders. It's a very exciting space. Right. And with the explosion of multifamily, there's more competition. So what can a broker do nowadays to stand out? Oh, I love that question. That's such a great question. So I believe don't wait for your don't wait for someone to bring you a deal, right? right. Don't stand there with a catcher's mitt and say, Go out there and get I'm it. just hanging around yeah. and if my guy wins a deal, then I'll be here for him. That's nonsense. Don't right. do that. Go and find a way to drive revenue to your clients. Go and find a way to get deals done by being in the middle. Right. And, and I think 
me and Bill kind of pioneered that movement. We we weren't just going to sit and wait for guys to bring us deals. We were going to go out there and find ways to bring deals to our clients, right. be it by matchmaking, connecting sellers and buyers, connecting brokers, mining the platform, finding opportunities. We are so active in driving revenue. It, it's crazy. And it's been a huge boom for us because by driving revenue to our clients, we've managed to do so much business for them. And it endears you to your clients. Right. If, if you go out to, so I'll give you an example. Uh, five years ago, I sold a deal. Uh, Harbor Group had a deal called the Mayflower. It was a deal they owned in Norfolk, Virginia. It's a high rise. It's a tower. Uh, they were looking to sell it. I brought it to another client, David Lind, uh, from the Lind Group from San Antonio. We financed it. Lind did the value add. They crushed it. Uh, we got the listing agreement this morning from David. David's come back to us now to sell it to somebody else five years later. Wow. And I know a guy that has a 1031 that I haven't yet done business with. I'm going to give it to him. Okay. I'm going to endear myself to him. He's going to owe me because he's got three days to identify and this is a great deal. So now I'm going to get him wedded to me by bringing him this deal. So I've made Harbour Group happy five years ago, made wow. David Lind happy, and Amazing. now I'm going to get another client from one one deal three times. <laughs> and then in five years' time, please go and I'll sell it again to somebody else. That's so awesome. So it's a gift that keeps on giving. Amazing. And you work all day with people deploying billions of dollars a year annually into multifamily assets. Describe what you believe to be the thought process behind deploying so much capital with so much conviction. Again, again, the fundamentals of multi cannot be beat. Right. Everybody needs a home. We have an exploding population. We have a huge demand for apartments. We have a crazy migration that we haven't seen since the Great Depression right. of 1929. The movement from rural to city, which we saw, but well, we didn't see, we weren't alive, but what happened in 1929 during that Great Depression, we saw it again during COVID. The mass movement out of New York into different parts of the country, the mass movement out of California into Texas and Arizona. So you've got a huge movement of the population and then you have a very transitory population. Right. Young kids today, they're not tied down. They don't really have the same desire to be homeowners like our parents right. had, right? The first step on the ladder was owning your home and having your home. Millennials don't really have Different, that today. Yeah. They want to be much more transient. They want to up and move, up and go. So so it's just a fantastic asset class that's that's just not going away anytime soon because I can't see the the move go back to homeowning and owning a condo and owning a house. That that was the dream of our parents. Right. That is not the dream of us or our kids today. Our kids today want to one day be in Utah coding and snowboarding, the next day go live in San Antonio, yeah. go live here, right? So they want the flexibility to be able to move and move. And especially with remote learning today, you can really work from anywhere. Yeah. So you have the ability to up and go somewhere else. You don't like living in Atlanta, Georgia? No problem. Go live in Dallas, Texas. Oh, you weren't happy in Dallas, Texas? you can have a great time go live in san diego so there's so much so many options so many things you can do everything is online everything you can view your apartment online it's just such an easy business to do i think this business is gonna be around for a long time i can't see any huge disruption coming to the multifamily space 100 percent. and what kind of lifestyle do you prefer do you prefer the the jumping around between states or do you prefer to stay in one kind of area so so for me when, when i was growing up in new york I constantly moved around, right? right? So when I first came, I lived on 92nd and 2nd in a five-story walk-up on the fifth floor on an air mattress in my friend's apartment <laughs> that had a landing. Had no money, ate a cup of noodle soup, sat in my underwear on a voice on a Vonage phone and made cold calls and tried and drum up some business. Made a little bit of money, moved to 65th and Madison. Lost a little bit of money, moved to Fidei. Made a little bit of money, moved to Tribeca. Right. Made a little bit more money, moved to Miami. You know, So uh, while I own in, in, in Miami and I own the Hamptons, 
I'm never really wedded to one place. You mm. never know. Me and my wife, we're, we're gypsies. We like to move. It's fun. You you get to, I don't know if we'll That's end exciting. up in Miami. We'll stay a couple of years in Miami, then we'll try something else. And Great. maybe go to Palm Beach. You know, that I don't know what the future holds, but nothing, I'm not wedded to one place, no. Great, got it. Understood. And so I want to ask about uh, the current landscape of how your clients are thinking. So your clients today, are they if they're picking up a core asset, are they getting a long-term fixed rate or are they getting a floating rate loan with a rate cap? Okay, that's a very good question. So first of all, let, let's just deal with one misnomer that deals are not getting done. That is patently false. Mm-hmm. Deals are getting done every single day. We closed uh, two deals last week. One was $400 million and the other one was $70 million. We have a deal closing tomorrow, $100 million, uh, Wednesday, sorry. Wednesday's tomorrow, right? $100 yeah. million we're closing on Wednesday. So deals are getting done. We're signing up deals. And and the way to get deals done today is to be creative, right? right? You You can't just be a paper pusher. You need to think outside the box. You need to be very unique in how you're going to structure, how you're going to build a cap stack. So let's just talk through the question. If they're buying a core asset, what kind of debt are they putting on it? So I don't know if you've heard, but Fannie have just come out with a very competitive five-year fixed rate program. So you have five years of fixed rate money, three years of yield maintenance, and then open to prepay in year four. So everyone knows that we're in a rising interest rate environment. Interest rates have been historically low. We've had six rate hikes. The, the Fed is trying to slow the freight train that is inflation. I don't believe they're going to stop anytime mm-hmm. soon because it's working. Why stop doing something? Why take the foot off the neck if things are working? So I believe you'll see another rate hike in, in December, another one in February. You're going to continue to see rate hikes and then you're going to level off towards the end of the year. So a lot of my clients don't want to waste money on buying a rate cap, right? Because Got you're it. just flushing money down the yeah. toilet. You're buying a rate cap, you're never going to recoup that money. Rather, they want to do five-year fixed rate money. So the five-year lenders are very in vogue right now. So that's NYCB, that's Greystone's five-year program. And now, because Fannie has seen NYCB's dominance and Greystone's right. dominance, they've come out with their own five-year program that we're, we're going to do a ton of right now. We're going to just write a lot, a lot of that. Okay. Now, if you're buying a transit a transitory asset. If you believe that there's a lot of meat on the bone and there's a lot of upside and you want to be flexible, then you would also do a floating rate loan, but you would have the buy the cap. But I don't think anyone today really wants to spend money on these insane caps. Right. So I, I'm i not one pushing floating rate loans because I believe you're, you're going to buy, especially on bigger deals, and we tend to do bigger deals, a $100 million deal, that cap is going to cost you six, seven, eight million million. Right. That's a fortune of money. So it's more for like distressed assets, someone that wants to flip something? I, I would think you want to do floating rate money, floating rate money, if you think there's massive upside, right. it's a one-year, nine-month yeah. hold, then yeah, you don't want to lock in because you want to be able to go to the wells. So let's say someone's buying something in New York City, mm-hmm. right? Let's say they're buying something that's very old, that they can put in a ton of money, move tenants out, bring in new tenants, that is where I would use the opportunity to 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 do floating rate loan because rents in New York aren't slowing down. Right. They're still climbing. New York is on fire. While rents in a lot of the other markets that have been on fire for such a long time are slowed kind down. of peaked and slowed down. So Tampa, which saw 19, 20% ro- rent growth, that's gone today. Yep. So it depends where you are is the type of debt you're going to put on. So it's not no one thing defines mm-hmm. it. It's market, conditions, property. There's a million things that go into deciding what is the best execution Understood. for you. Got it. And I watched your Ecore 22 panel where you had a point about inflation not coming down, even with the aggressive rate hikes. What's your perspective on the inflationary environment coming into 2023 and beyond? Well, I, I, think, I think when you have two incredibly irresponsible governments both the Trump administration and the Obama administration, giving out money to everybody, right, with no oversight at all. For, I've got a company 
that my wife is the company secretary. And I got, a, I got a letter from the government saying, if you don't fire, Jana Stimler will give you $27,000 of a forgivable loan. Mm. That's so crazy, right? It's, and it, and I would had just one employee. People out there had 50, 60 employees. They just gave money out to everybody. So right. they pumped this economy with so much money. We're flush with liquidity. And just, they have to suck the air out of this economy. And they're trying to do it without causing recession mm. and they're not because if you look at the job growth numbers they were spectacular you look at inflation is coming down i think the fed have to continue to keep raising interest rates because they have to destroy not destroy god forbid but they have to slow two things the home the single family home business which they've done very successfully and the stock market which they've done very right, successfully yeah. so i don't think they stop anytime soon i think they keep going to to, to curb inflation to bring prices down and uh, hopefully they'll be successful without without a, a massive crash or a bump. But I think you're still going to see a lot of people get very badly hurt in Understood. 2023. Got it. And um, in regards to your business or brokerage, what are some of your unconventional ways to generate leads for yourself? Oh, there's so many different things that I've done that are a little bit out there. Uh, I, I love the story because I kind of think it's 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 just a good story and just shows how you have to be in life. So. Uh, a few years ago, Newmark had a portfolio called the Aragon Portfolio. For, what's that? Yeah, you heard the story. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the good story. So yeah. I'm going to just repeat that yeah, story. Yeah. So, so uh, wow, you really have done your homework. <laughs> so, so, uh, so there was a bidder on that portfolio called Pat Carroll, and uh, he was the he was the bridesmaid on the portfolio. Ultimately, the portfolio went to Harbor Group. We financed it for over a billion dollars. It was a wonderful. Wonderful trip. I, I love that doing that deal. There's no rush like doing a two billion dollar right. deal. It's just freaking insane and just the peaks and troughs and the highs and the lows and just holding it all together and my colleagues you can find them in the fetal position when things aren't going well and I'm a firm believer that everything's gonna be fine I'm like right. chill out it's all gonna work out anyway so we did the deal deal closed hurrah well done and I wanted to find this guy and it was very hard to track him down and I started following him on social media and I think social media is kind of like a window into someone's life right. and it's not a true window but it's definitely a window of like where they are and I saw that he was flying into New York on his on his private plane and going to dinner at Cipriani's and I got dressed I was in bed that day I was sick and it was I think it was February and I said to my wife I said I'm, I'm gonna go hijack this guy and I walked up to his table, pulled up a chair, <laughs> sat down next to him and said, hi, I'm Henry Stimler. We need to be doing business together. And he looked at me at first kind of inquisitively right. and, and then I explained and he liked it. And then uh, he was he was quite, found it quite entertaining that this guy just ambushed him at dinner yeah. with friends. But then it took me a year, right? It didn't like, it wasn't like, oh yeah, I'm gonna give you the business, you've got it. And then it took me a year of harassing and driving people cra him crazy and showing my value and bringing him deals and showing him what I could do for him, that the relationship started to blossom into a working relationship. Right. And of course, I'm very grateful for that. But again, even with Jordan, right? I saw Jordan at a party and I went up to him and, and I, I just accosted him at the bar and I said, I don't understand you did $3 billion of deals and we did none of it. Right. Why is that? So <laughs> I, I always say you need to have the courage to articulate yeah. what you want. So if, if you see someone across the room and you want to do business with that guy, you got to go talk to that right. guy, right? And you got to kind of stand out and say in his mind and not just be another guy. And I don't know, you, I think I have a great advantage, which which we can't deny the English accent is so helpful, right. right? But even without an English accent, you've just got to kind of stand out and leave an indelible mark on the guy that right. that he's going to, you're going to, he's going to give you business. But if you don't follow up, 
it's it's all for now. If right. you go to a conference and you take 50 cards, you don't follow up with any of those people, you've just wasted your time right. and your money. So follow up is so key and so many guys have zero follow up. Mm -hmm. They meet the guy, they schmooze the guy and they send an email and then there's nothing after this. Yeah. If I want to do business with you, I'm going to harass you. I'm going to chase you to the end of the earth to do business with you. And I'm not going to leave you alone till you're going to capitulate. Right. Till you're just going to say, oh, screw it. I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to give this guy business so he leaves me alone. Right. So the main two keys that I'm getting from this is that you have to go up wherever the biggest whale in the room is. You have to go straight up to them, have the balls to just go up to them and follow up with them and annoy them until they give you their business. I think it's very much like chasing a beautiful woman, right? right. So so the same kind of way you would trying to... Uh, right. Trying to get laid, right? Yeah. You see a beautiful woman in the bar, if you hesitate, you're dead, right? Yep. Because then all the thoughts start to gotta creep go in right your away. head. You've got to go straight up for her. And yep. many times that beautiful woman hasn't really been approached. So because she's kind everyone's of- scared. <laughs> someone, Everyone's scared someone's there. And then if she's kind of dismissive of you, you've got to just chase till, right. you, till you wear her down. Right. And, and nine times out of 10, you're going to wear her down, right? Is it true that in situations like this, where there's a huge whale, it's kind of like everyone is scared to do it. So nobody really does it. So the people that actually do it are completely out of- a bluish strategy. Yeah, I, I was at a party for, for Art Basel and Madonna was at the party. Right. I went to the to the YSL party and no one was talking to Madonna. Everyone was scared. <laughs> everyone was scared. And I, I thought, you know what? I'm not scared. She's just another person right. I went to talk to. Her. So just don't be scared. People have just, they're always very nervous and they get in their head. And yeah, rejection is scary and being rejected is not nice and hurtful, but big deal. Yeah. Big deal. Someone's going to tell you to bugger off. So what? 100%, definitely. And how much of this business comes down to understanding people and how much of it comes down to understanding the asset? Would you say it's an even mix between these two that makes a good broker? So I'm, again, I'm very lucky that I've got my my partner who who is just a brilliant structuring genius. Mm. So while I know every facet of the deal and I know every nuance of every product, my strong suit is making the connection, fostering that relationship, right. building that relationship, making the client trust and believe in me and us. But I would say that Bill really shines when it comes to building the stack, mm. putting it together, talking to lenders. I've seen Bill on the phone to Blackstone telling them how to write their term sheets. I've seen Bill on the phone to insurance guys and, and underwriters and just leading them wow. through and just making the argument of where they're wrong, right? If, so this lender is coming up short on dollars, Bill's gonna, build his own spreadsheet, figure out and just show them where you've made that mistake and literally humble them. And it's just right. a beautiful sight to see. I'm not going to pretend to say, I can do that. I can't do that. The day I open a spreadsheet is a bad day for the whole <laughs> world. That's not my value right. add. So I've got, we've got a yin and yang that really, really works. So I'm the, the people person. Mm -hmm. He's the technically gifted, brilliant structurist. I've also got Ari, who's a phenomenal workhorse who just puts in the work because there's, there's a million details that goes in. I always say that the cavern from signing up a deal to closing a deal right. is as wide as the, as, the, as the Grand Canyon. There are so many pitfalls. So you need everybody to be pulling in the same direction. Mm -hmm. So you've got me, Bill, Ari, all of us are together in that boat and we're all, we're all rowing in the same direction. Mm -hmm. All of us bring our different um, skill sets to the party to get it done. We all have things that the that the other one doesn't. So if if I was with another two guys that were full of personality and full of right. piss and vinegar, that wouldn't be so great, right? We'd both be vying for the spotlight. They let me have be the spot. They let me have the spotlight. They let me be me, and right. I let them be them, and it really works. So you complement each other's strengths yeah. and weaknesses. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think it's great to always work with a team and to work with partners. You don't want to be a lone ranger. You want to work with with Toto and other guys. So you want to have a team. They support you. They help right. you and and that's really important to find 
people that plug the holes that you yep. have. 100%. And what idea do you believe, whether grounded in data or intuition, that many people you respect disagree with you on? What do I believe that many people, I believe that anything is possible. Hmm. I believe, I, I'm, I'm, I'm proof of that. Here you have a, a high kid that left high school at 16, went to Yeshiva, went to Gateshead, went to Mir, came to America with $400 in his pocket. Right. I, I remember the day I flew to, to, to New York. I remember the day I crossed that bridge. There was this great thing during COVID about this right. taxi driver. I remember that, that moment seeing the city in the background, came here with nothing and built three businesses, mm -hmm. right? You know, did my first iteration, built my nightclub business, built this new business. Nothing is impossible. Mm -hmm. You can do anything you want with hard work and a little bit of balls. Amazing, amazing. And how do you recognize an opportunity you wanna go big on? Is it based on intuition or is it based on facts? I go with gut. I, I, amazing. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so much of a, I'll ask Bill for the facts, but <laughs> I'm, I'm very much a go with my gut kind of guy. And, and sometimes I've been right and sometimes I've been wrong. You know, it's always 50-50, you never know what's gonna happen. You can't always tell the market. I think I've learned a tremendous amount from my younger years of, being so kind of frivolous with money and making stupid investments and doing silly things and spending stupid money out, you, that comes with maturity and mm -hmm. age, but you got to go with your gut. And and sometimes I'm, I've been wrong. I've I've gambled on the wrong guys. I've 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 got rid of people in my life because they haven't been the right mm -hmm. kind of guys. You've got to know when to cut people loose. And so, but but yeah, it's always go with your gut. Understood. <clears throat> Sorry. And what have you learned about yourself since you've closed your first deal? <laughs> What have I learned for myself since I closed my first $6 million deal yes. in, in 2016? What have I learned? I've learned that, that life is just so much fun, that it's just so great. Awesome. Just, it's, it's so much fun doing something you enjoy, doing something you love. And, and if you do something you love, it's, it's not really working at all. It's, it's, it's just fantastic. I think I've learned so many lessons, so there's not one lesson. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I think uh, I've learned so many different things. I've learned so much about myself. I've learned so much about the, the, this world. I've learned so much about people. I've so much learned so much about faith and, and belief, heartbreak and, and tough times, good times. And th there's always gonna be peaks and troughs. There's right. always gonna be good times and bad times. The bad times don't last forever. Mm -hmm. You've just gotta see yourself through the fog and come out of it. Right, 100%. <coughs> and how did you learn the skills associated with being a leader? Is this something you were born with or did you develop this as you went through your career? I saw it at home. Uh, I think nearly everything I kind of learned and who I am today is because of my dad. Mm. So I'm incredibly blessed. I have, a, I have a giant of a man who brought me up who's just an incredible person. And he is a leader, he's a natural leader. Mm. He's, he's involved in, every, in, in our community in, back home and right. he led things and he's just changed things and put things together from in the shul, the synagogue to the school. And, and, and he's a man of great authority. And, and I saw that growing up and, and I learned a lot of, a lot of my lessons right. that I try and teach my kids today are the yeah. lessons that my dad drilled into me. And my kids all know those catchphrases. I, I, I use them all the time. I always say, my dad always says, and, and they, they know this things like, Patience is a virtue and right. a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush and charm gets you in the door, but knowledge keeps you in the room and mm. be a man of your be a be a man of your word. And if you say something, always do it and help those who can't help themselves. So he's my greatest teacher and, and, and he showed me how to be a leader. Amazing. Amazing. And how do you go about setting goals for yourself and for your team? I never stop. So uh, if I did 
$4.7 billion last year. I want to do $5.7 right. billion this year. And I am relentless in that drive. And it's so crazy because I'm more driven to beat targets than I am by the monetary rewards, right. right? Even though the money's great, don't get me wrong, and it affords me the lifestyle I want to live and have and have my children and my wife to have and everybody around me to have, but but I'm not motivated solely by money. Right. I'm motivated by beating records, by being number one. I'm obsessive about it. We have a weekly spreadsheet that comes out at Newmark that shows you where you are in the rankings. Right, right. And I wait every Friday for that spreadsheet to see where we are in the number rankings. One. And if I'm not number one, it drives me mad. So I, I, I strive and I thrive and I work under that pressure of just beating Amazing. myself and last year's expectations and beating the numbers and beating everyone around me. Not because I want to beat people. Right, right. I just yeah. want to be... I want to be the number one. I right. want to be have the accolade of saying I'm the number one multifamily debt broker at Newmark and hopefully he's got the, the country. Yeah, 100%. So would you say you adopt the mentality that the numbers on the screen don't really matter? It's really just a battle against yourself and proving to yourself that you can make it <coughs> and continue making it. No, the it. numbers absolutely matter. <laughs> the numbers define where you are, right? It's like it's like the league or the, the Premier League or the football, you right. know, at the end of the day, you're number one or you're nothing. No one remembers number two, number three. Right. No one remembers the, the runner-up. No one remembers who lost the Super Bowl. They just remember that True. the Rams won the Super Bowl, True. right? So I want to win. Got it. And I'm, and I'm not obsessed with winning. It's not winning that I just, I want to be at the top of the mountain. I want to be at the pinnacle. I want to be in and around the conversation as one of the greats in this business. And, I, and I've, I've just started. I've got a long, long way to go. You know, they, they talk about people, my peers, and with bated breath. I'd like to one day be spoken about in the same manner with bated, with that kind of, wow, this kid really did something. He came and he built some, He built up a business, and he built up a name, and he built up a reputation, and he, and he did great things Amazing. with the money he was afforded and given and and, and the team he was given. So I, I want to build a legacy. That's amazing. That's so inspiring. And what do you look for in a new hire? I just hired a kid who I think is going to be an absolute thoroughbred. Uh, and I get a lot of I get a lot of kids come to me and, and my phone is always open. I'm always happy to meet. I'm always happy to try and help out. But the guys I want on my team, I want them to have that, that I want them to have a mix of killer ability, mm -hmm. incredible work ethic, great organization and likability. Mm. And I think the last thing, the likability is so key in a business where there's nothing proprietary, where you do the same thing as all your competitors do, you need to find something to stand out. And that likability factor is so big. If you can be likable, then your guys will keep coming back right. to you to do business because why go to someone that they don't really like? They can have a good time with you, give you the business. You can crush it for them. Obviously, you've got to crush it, right. right? So that goes without saying. But if you can crush it and they can have a nice experience and a good time, and 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 those are the small things. I always respond to emails mm -hmm. very quickly. You send me an email, you see I respond within yeah. five minutes. No matter what time it is, I'm responding. Uh, I'm on top of my, my stuff. I want my guys to be the same. I want to have a good time. I want to have a nice dinner. I want to go to a nice sporting event. I, I'm very positive. I want people to be around me to be positive. So I, I look for mini me's and mm. I just hire this kid that I think has all the attributes to be great in the business. Right. So do you think at the <laughs> highest level, um, you kind of get to a point where your clients are looking for uh, the right service, delivery of the right service instead of for example, the right numbers, even though you do deliver the right numbers, you, you deliver the right service and you give them um, an experience. 
I want to tell you, many years ago, I asked some guy, I said, what's the most important thing to you? Is it leverage? Is it interest rate? Or is it IO? He said, all three. And I stopped asking the question <laughs> after that, right? right? So I no longer ask what, yeah. I'm just going to deliver the best execution, right. the best, I'm going to get you the most dollars. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get you the cheapest rate and I'm going to get you the most interest only. And I'm going to get you the loan with the least teeth. Right. So if God forbid something happens, you're not going to be left with your pants down, right? And and I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna fight for you. Right. I'm gonna kill for you. Right. I'm gonna be in the ring. I always say that you know how you have the right lender when you have a think about the Colosseum and the Gladiators when you have the last guy standing right. and it littered around him is dead bodies. That's the lender I want, Amazing. right? So I'm gonna pit everybody against each other, and the last guy beaten, bruised, and bloody, but still standing, right. he's gonna win the business. Amazing. And I'm gonna push you to the absolute wall till you beg for mercy. But if you're there at the end, you're getting the deal. Amazing. And what's your what's your question? What's your favorite question to ask in an interview to gauge if a person that you want to hire is like this? I don't think it's a question. I think I think when I was when the guys that I've hired, and I've I've, I've been wrong again. I've hired guys that haven't worked out. Right. I've had to let go that I thought could be bright young things. I thought they could be. Uh, the next reincarnation of me and Bill, I thought they could help us build the business, but they haven't been able to. And you have to just part ways in a nice amicable way. I think it's just, you get a feel for a guy, you see how he responds, you see how mm. he is. The reason why I hired Ricky, because everything about him resonated with me. From him reaching out to me, I didn't know him, uh, asking for an interview, I wasn't gonna give him an interview, he didn't back down he mm -hmm. kept on pushing for the interview i loved that he came in he had the interview he didn't he didn't just not follow up he followed up incessantly see he did everything that i would have done right. and i said okay so if he can break down my door and he can beat me up to get the job right. he's gonna do this to get clients and and i've so far i've been very right but other guys have not i've not been always right so it's it's Got always 50-50, it. you gotta see then what happens. So uh, the people that you hire, how do they how do they go about finding their ni uh, niche within commercial real estate finance? So, so I'm gonna give them all the opportunities. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna have them sit with me. I'm gonna have them be on a million calls with me. I'm right. gonna loop them into every email I'm on. I'm gonna see how, I'm gonna see how, they're gonna see how I connect the right. dots, how I put things together, and hopefully they can emulate that. And it's just basically remembering talking. So I meet one guy, he says, oh, you know, I'm, I really wanna build and buy in San Antonio. I really wanna be in, in, in Philly, or I really wanna be here. And then, okay, so you wanna be in Philly. So first let me make you an introduction to our girls in Philly who sell a lot of real estate in Philly. And then, oh, by the way, I know this guy in Philly that's looking to sell his asset. Maybe you buy it. So you gotta connect the dots. You've gotta make those connections. So if he can make those connections, if he can bring value, he's gonna be successful. 100%. And as far as creativity, how, how important is creativity in this business? And can you think back to a time where you thought creatively, thought out of the box, and you solved a, client, a problem that your client had? Oh, so many, so many creative different things that we've done that has been incredibly unique and and, and brilliant. Okay, let's just talk about this deal right now. So, so the last deal we closed, uh, I can't I can't disclose a lot of information, mm -hmm. right. but let's just do it like this. So, guy buy, guys buying a little under three thousand units in high interest rate environment, tremendous deal owned by the same family for many many years. So there's a ton of upside. Long time long term owners tend to get a little bit complacent and tend to kind of just let it tick over. Right. So I always find great upside from buying from guys that have owned assets for 20, 30 mm. years, because it's just kind of in the past. Stable, it's, yeah. it's like it's, it's like a son that's grown up and you're not really that involved in it. 
but even though there's tremendous unlock potential. So my client here wanted to get the best execution. So we went out to, I would say, about over 100 lenders and we put together a great cap stack. And then we put a five-year fixed rate NYCB loan for part of it. We did a Freddie Mac for part of it. And then we put PREF across both with related. Mm. And then we had a ton of issues, obviously, with this and that and that, sorry, with all different things. And, and we just figured it all out. We held the hand of related, held the hand of NYCB, held the hand of Freddie, held the hand of the buyer, held the hand of the mm. seller, and just got everybody to, to, right. to, to the closing table. And that's an art, that's a skill, because you're dealing with egos. You're dealing of right. the buyer who's a multi-billionaire who doesn't really hear no a lot. You're dealing with different lenders who are kind of nervous and skittish right now. And then you're dealing with pref equity, which the pref has kind of got to be in lockstep with the owner. Right. And the pref may have different ideas of what they want to do on the rehab. And the owner may have different ideas. And you've just got to hold everyone right. together. And you've got to do that through coercion and flattery and threats and skill and, and every trick of the trade right. and promises. And, and, and then the promise of a great night out. And I'm going to take you out. And I'm promising everything's going to be fine. And you've got to be part therapist, mm. part priest, part rabbi, Part lover, part, you know, you've got to do all these different things because you're dealing with human beings right. at the end of the day. And all of these guys have different needs, different emotions, and you've got to hold everybody. And sometimes you've got to be stern and you've got to yell and scream and, and put people in their place. And right. people are very scared to put people in their place, especially very wealthy and successful men. But I find a good yelling doesn't go unwarranted <laughs> sometimes and it really helps. Right. So sometimes I'll tell the client, I don't know if I can swear on this thing, but I'll say, shut the F up. You're talking <laughs> rubbish. I know what's the right thing to do. Stop fighting with right. me. Listen to what I'm saying. Stop wasting your time with this this lender. They're not going to deliver what you think they right. are. You're, you, you're, you're dreaming. Oh, I heard this lender's doing this and this. Why can't you get me this? I said, you're talking bullshit. People are whispering a million different things in your ear. Listen to me. Be quiet. I'm going to help you. I'm going to steer you right. Trust me. 100%. And so do you feel sometimes that um, your job is like kind of being a conductor in an orchestra where you have to bring everything together to make it happen. Yeah, of course. Of course. Of course. I love that, that analogy. I'm going to use that. I've never <laughs> actually thought about that, but you absolutely, but I think in your life, you're a conductor of your own symphony, right? Yeah. right? So, so yeah, I, I, as I said, here you are part-time therapist, part-time friend, part-time confidant, part-time business partner, part-time advisor. Right. You're wearing a million different hats yeah. and you have to know which hat to put on right. for certain people. And 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 some guys are in this business are notoriously difficult to deal with that other guys have had very little success. I have great success in kind of melding them and mm. pushing them and and getting what I want. And that that's what my father would call chain, like right. likability that, you know, convincing, uh, you know, uh, pushing them in the direction right. they need to do. And that's that's a particular skill set that, that you're blessed with from God or you don't right. have it. You yeah. either have chain or you don't have yeah, it. Yeah. And I have an abundance of it and people kind of, They'll, they'll take it from me. They'll, they'll listen to the shouting. They'll smile. They'll say, okay, with, with, a, with a cheeky, I've got a cheeky grin. And they'll say, okay, let, let's do it. Let's follow sure. you. Definitely. I'll listen to what you're saying. <laughs> and in what situations in business do you listen to your gut and intuition more than you'd use logic and reasoning? So again, I, I, we both have the angel and the devil on our shoulder, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, I think you really have to take yourself out of the equation, right? You really have to not think of yourself or what is it for you? How much money am I going to make? You know, a lot of brokers out there think, okay, I'm going to give this guy this loan because I stand to make the most amount of money. 
and that's just not a way to, mm. to build a business. So you have to take yourself out of the equation. It's not about you. It's about delivering the best execution for your client. And let's say if I go to NYCB, which is not in-house, I got to pay Meridian, I got to pay these guys, I got to right. pay that guy, I'm not going to make a lot of money, but it's the best solution. You got to do that. Don't think short-term, think long-term. It's never about the deal. It's about the person. It's right. about the client. Deals come and go, people stay around for a lot, lot longer. So while your gut will tell you, well, I can make a million dollars doing it, a Freddie Mac loan, and I get servicing, I get this. And if I go to a broker, a KKR Blacks, and I'm gonna make $250,000, what a kick in the nuts that is. It doesn't matter. Don't listen to that voice, because ultimately you're gonna screw your client, mm. and then he's gonna get pissed off because he's in a bad situation because you pushed for yourself rather than for him, and you didn't do the right thing, and you made a million dollars, but at the end of the day, he's not going to come back to you. He's going right. to go to somebody else. So, yeah. so go go with what's right for your client rather than what's right for you. Understood, hundred percent. And who do you learn from at this? Who do you learn from at this point in your career? I learn from everybody. I learn from absolutely everybody and anybody. I learn a tremendous amount from my wife, uh, who's so clever and so smart and just such a great read of character. She's literally my sounding board. <laughs> Do you know so many times she'll steer me in the right direction. Uh, I'll learn from my father, I'll learn from Bill and Ari and Cliff and even the new kid that I just hired, I'll learn from, I'll learn from Anthony. Uh, I'll learn from Amazing. guys who are older than me who, who've taken the time. I had dinner yesterday with a guy called Chris Milner who heads Cantor Fitzgerald, he used to run BlackRock. And uh, when I first started at, at, at Cantor, he used to have this big corner office. He's a big senior guy, Great. he's older, he's established, he's a he's a rock star in the business. and, and uh, and and I would just I would just sit in his office and just annoy him just to learn from him. And he had these two big plus chairs right. and and he would walk into his office at nine o'clock to see me sitting there with a list of questions and he'd have this rude smile on his face. <laughs> but he took the time to answer me and, and explain things to me and help me and and I'm forever grateful for that tutelage. And and I took him out for a very expensive dinner yesterday and uh, he you know some wine and all that nonsense and everything and. And, and those guys who just took the time to teach you, mm. they're, they're just so important mm. and so great. And my father always says, someone took the time to teach you, take the time to teach others. And mm. and I take that very much to heart. And and I'm an open, I've got an open door and I've got an open phone and anybody that needs help or right. wants advice, I'm going to pay it forward. Right, 100%. And what drives you nowadays? Is it money, personal achievement, family or philanthropy? And when would you say you've succeeded? You, you've you've never succeeded, right? You, you've never succeeded. You've lifelong journey. It's a lifelong journey. It, it's 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 never over, right? Mm. Because if you've succeeded in one, you're ultimately going to fail another. Right. So you can be a great businessman but a bad father, right. and, and and you're always torn between both because you want to be there for your beautiful kids, but you also have to go on the road and you have to go see this client. And you want to give them a great life, but you don't want to give them too much so they don't become entitled. You've right. got to thread that 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 you've got to walk that tightrope. So I don't think I, one I'm I'm ever done, right? So I'm I'm going to keep on going. And and, and what do I want to do? I, I want to be, I want to be in the same place as my peers are. I want to be at the top of the mountain, mm. but not at the top top. I want to keep on going up, and I want to build a legacy. And I want to be spoken about in a good way. And I want to build a good legacy. And I want to be leave behind a a, a good a good leftovers, right? I, I want to build a good life. I want to help people. I want to be a good person. I want to do good things with my money. I want to be God's postman on earth. Amazing. That's amazing. And I have my last question to wrap it up, Henry. What advice would you give your 22-year-old self about life, business, and relationships? 
Okay, so let's let's break down let's break down all of them. And I've been lucky in all three, thank God. So so I think I, I can speak about these things. So let, let's talk about life. You never know where life is going to take you, right? I grew up an Orthodox Jewish boy in Golders Green in a class of 43. Only one guy mm. left Golders Green, and that was myself. The other 42 kids are still living in either London or Israel. Right. And you know, they just followed the path that was set out for them. Make your own path. Mm. Thrive, strive to make leave your own mark on this great place. Don't follow the herd. Do your own thing. That's life. In in work, you can have tons of talent, but if you don't work hard, it's right. all for now. You need to have a work ethic. You need to get things done. You need to be able to deal with the tough times, not bury your head in the sand, curl up into a ball. You have to be able to deliver bad news. So many guys just can't deliver it. They're scared. I deliver bad news all the time. Things are not always going to work out. Yeah. It's just a fact of life. That's that's work. And then in relationships, if you're lucky enough to find your soulmate, your love of your life, that woman that just, or man, whatever, or just your partner that just, you light up when you're with, don't let it go. I, I got so lucky. I, I found my girl when she was 22, I was 28. We ran right in this city and we've just grown together. So find something that you can grow together, that you can grow together as a couple because then you kind of become one, right? So if you have someone that's, grown already right. and you're still growing you're not really on the same path just grow together and, and just build a beautiful life together amazing henry this has been so great and i'm sure there's so much value out there that people can apply to their lives moving forward thank, thank you, you so, so much. much that was great thank you that was super fun okay all right i gotta go to harlem i'll see you guys later <laughs> see ya.